before I read scripture. Kids, hang with us for just a, just a minute. Um, I'm going to read scripture in a second. Jason's going to come up and preach, and I'm excited, to, uh, really excited to hear what he's going to share with us today. But today's a special day for us, and I just wanted to introduce um, and echo what Jamie said. This is our uh, first fruits offering for our mission partners. And uh, in our Christmas mission offering connected with our Above and Beyond um, initiative. Two years ago, our church entered into something we call Above and Beyond, where we go above our normal uh, giving so that we can go beyond our normal limits in the ministry impact we have. And uh, we've been doing this offering since the beginning of our church, and it has grown every year, and God has been so faithful for us to radically give. I think I mentioned last week one of our goals as a church is to be able to give uh, up to 50% of, uh, of our budget away. We want to be able to give that. Isn't that amazing? And you every year just show up so we enable us um, to do that. We believed uh, two years ago as we started this above and beyond thing that God was calling us to take several bold steps uh, in our mission to Bossier and surrounding cities and areas. And we set this ambitious goal of 100% participation and uh, a goal of $500,000 over two years that would help us move into a new permanent facility, start some new ministries, raise up and send out more uh, church planters than ever before. And we'll extend this offering through Easter. You can see on the little card, there's two offerings. Today is the first fruits offering. And we hope to hit $50,000 by the end of this calendar year so we can write checks to our church planters. If you were here last week, you heard Shane. He's fixing to move into the lower ninth ward. Isn't that amazing? And I just sent a text to, to our, our team and say, wouldn't it be amazing if we could cover his rent for the first year? He's not expecting it. He's trying to figure out a way around it. He doesn't have the money for it. What if our church just stepped up in this offering that we would be able to do that? I hope that's uh, uh, possible for us. So this is a huge goal for us. The timing could not have been worse. We just kind of started right when inflation started. Uh, Lord always knew what he was doing, though, because this has never been about the money. God doesn't need your money. This is about us becoming more like him in our generosity. God's people going above and beyond with our whole lives for the mission of God. So rather than several different ways to give, we created one fund that funds everything that we want to do in these uh, mission efforts called Above and Beyond. So we'll take up an offering today at the end of the service. Uh, some of you have given already, and we'll ask you to just write on a card. Uh, we'll also be putting our prayer requests and things on your card. If you're a visitor with us today, please feel no obligation to give to this. This is for people who call Covenant Home. Uh, but I do pray that it shows you a little bit about what we're about. Uh, the last, the lost, and the least that Jesus came to reach and to save. And we want to extend that mission. Our scripture reading for today is Revelation chapter 1. In verse uh, 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is God's word. Kids, we'll dismiss you to the back as Jason comes up to bring the word for us. All right. Uh, good morning, kids. Uh, make way to the back. Uh, I think it's your last practice before the big Christmas Eve uh, song. Guys, y'all ready? I am sorry I cannot be back. I'm a, a vocal coach on the side that I can't be back to help you guys sing today, um, but I believe you will do great even without my help. And so, um, man, I woke up this morning. Uh, you know, you wake up some days, you're, you're, you're like, oh, let's go. Some days you're like, oh, let's not go. Today was a let's go kind of day. And I had this sense, I don't know if you understand this. Uh, I, I do this with my kids sometimes where if, um, I don't fix many things, but if there's something I'm trying to fix or put something together, the last thing I want is for my kids to help me many times. Um, I'm being real just honest today, please don't judge me. Um, it's a safe place for sinners like me. Um, and I'm like, I can't right now, just leave me alone. But I, I was struck this morning as I woke up uh, that our Father in heaven is not like that, friends. So our Father has the biggest project in the history of the world. It's his kingdom rescue plan. 
And it's the most important project that has ever existed. But the king and the father does not say, kids, go away. He says, kids, come in. And I just thought about the beauty of the gathered people of God. That at seven this morning, maybe earlier, that there was people here participating in the Father's work, setting up curtains. There's a team in the back getting here early to make sure the, the mics work and the, and the screens work and the musicians here and kids workers right now wiping behinds and cleaning things off and, and youth workers loving on youth. And we get to play in the game as the people of God. And then we come together as the saved, rescued children and we declare one thing, he reigns above it all. What is more fun than that, right, friends? And we get to gather in the name of our rescuer. This is good. It's good. That's not, my, that's not my sermon at all. That's just fully just, I'm just here. I get once a month, guys. And so uh, you get what you get. Uh, you don't throw a fit. So Christmas Eve is next Sunday. We, uh, you know, it's on a Sunday this year. And we're like, what are we going to do? We're going to do like a service in the morning, a service in the evening. We all gather together. And we, we kind of came up with this plan right here is next Sunday morning, we are not gathering here at 1030. So please do not show up at 1030. We are not going to be here at 1030. But we do have this. Um, uh, Miss Jamie East uh, filmed a great little devotion for our families. So like my crew, we're going to be my mom's next Sunday morning. We're all going to come together, you know, aunts and mom and kids. And we're going to watch this video together to worship God as a family that morning. But then at 5 p.m., we will be here. And we're going to gather. We're going to have kids singing right here uh, some, some great songs about Jesus. We're going to worship God through some carols. We have a candlelight service. But I think most importantly, hear this. The gospel will be preached next week, friends. It'll be celebrated next, next Sunday evening, and it's a great time to invite your friends. So next Sunday morning, gather as a family, worship God through our little digital means, and then show up next Sunday, ready to worship God, invite a friend, invite some family, and we do this together. Let me pray for us. Uh, dear Father, uh, I thank you. What a privilege it is to open your word this morning and see what you have for us. Uh, let the words, let your words uh, penetrate our hearts this morning. We love you pray all this in your name. Amen. So during this Advent series, we have looked at Isaiah 9 and the phrases, wonderful counselor and mighty God. I'm going to read today what our phrase is for verse 6 from Isaiah 9. For, uh, to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father. Now that is a phrase, is it not? The, the phrase everlasting just really just means eternal. That means that Jesus has always been. He is called the Alpha and the Omega. He is above time. He's in a sense like Father time. It shows this cosmic side of Jesus, this kingly side of Jesus. And at Christmas, this is very important because, listen, we love baby Jesus, right? It's this beautiful picture of God being with us, of God humbling himself, of putting on flesh. But do not forget he is the king, correct? He is the beginning and the end, right? He has seen it all, done it all, knows it all. He is there. He is the king. He is everlasting, which is good for me. I am not everlasting. I am ever rushed, amen? And I am ever impatient, especially driving right now. Oh my gosh, going down airline drive or Uri drive. I'm just, I cannot do this. I am so angry. But hear this, an everlasting father is not that way. And that is good news for us. So he's everlasting. And then Isaiah just brings it out and uses this word, father. And the word father is a loaded word, isn't it not? Because we've all had fathers. And even this time of year, uh, you could have the best father in the world and that father could be gone and you might just miss him. Or you could have the father that it wasn't always easy at home and it's just this time of year, those things come up 
And that word father is just really, really loaded. Or, or maybe you're a parent yourself today. And you use the word father and you go right to those things that you blew. Because we all blow things as parents, correct? We blow things as people. And we just think, oh my gosh, that word father is so, so loaded. I do work, uh, I'm a pastor here at Covenant, and I do some counseling stuff on the side. And I will tell you this, um, fathers have maybe the biggest impact of any relationship that we have. That's positive and that is negative. I was reading a study this week that, and and I'm not going to give you all the numbers, but the the kind of the the, the big idea of the study was this, that fathers who don't just, not just go to church, but fathers who are happy about God, and that's expressed through singing. When kids sing their father, sing, when they see their father sing to God in a consistent, happy way, it's one of the biggest correlations to those not leaving the faith. That a happy in God father has just tremendous implications. But for many people in here, the idea of seeing our father in heaven as happy seems so foreign, does it not? Because I was thinking about this. For some in this room, we think father, we think absent. We think father and we think there's a hole there. Some of us in here. Many of us hear father and we think harsh and impatient. And all of us have a father who was imperfect. And so in light of that, our idea of father can just be very, very skewed. So how comforting is it that to read the birth of a child whose name shall be called everlasting father? Because see, even a really good father here on earth is not everlasting. They are finite. But Isaiah, talking about the king to come, used the words everlasting father. And this is, of all the names, this might be the most interesting because the word father is so loaded. How can Jesus the Messiah, the second person in the Trinity of the Godhead, be called everlasting father? A few things just to clarify for us what this means. First, Isaiah is not confusing Jesus the Messiah with the first person of the Trinity, with God the Father. Isaiah isn't just that God the Son is the second, is the same as God the Father. It's, he wasn't even thinking about the Trinity in mind when he probably wrote this, when he says the Messiah will be called Everlasting Father. It's not the Messiah's role in the Godhead. What Isaiah is doing, he is talking about the Messiah's character. Sam Storm says it this way. It's an analogy pointing to his character. He is fatherly. He is father-like in his treatment of us. So when we see this picture of the everlasting father, don't get confused. It's not confusing the Trinity, but what he's telling us, he is this patient, father-like king. Second thing, Isaiah here is he's highlighting the divine nature of, of Messiah. He loved to do this. More than any other author, Isaiah loves to look at eternity. He speaks of God as the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity. And Isaiah 9, 6, he used the same type of language to refer to the Messiah. He's the Alpha, the Omega. And remember, he's speaking of a child that will be born 700 years in the future. Yet he makes clear this child is the author of eternity. A baby is the author of eternity. He is the father of time. It truly boggles the mind, and it kind of scrambles your brain, does it not? That this one above time, outside of time, enters humanity. He is the king, and he's a baby. Hear this. Everything you've ever hoped for or dreamed of in a father is found in the everlasting father. Jesus, the Messiah, hear this, will forever be father-like. 
He will not take breaks from being father-like. He will not grow impatient with us becoming father-like. He will be forever our father. But sadly, that word father doesn't bring to mind a lot of times this idea of a shepherd, of one who affirms, of one who stays close. Instead, we think of words like aloof, distant, harsh, busy, irritated, selfish, unreliable, uncaring, cruel. Even among Christian families, this can be the norm. If we're honest, even us as fathers today, that comes out in us, does it not? These qualities that we don't always want. This is why for parents in the room, our role is not to be perfect. Our role is to point to the one who is perfect, correct? Jesus is the everlasting father who came down at Christmas into a broken and sinful world to fill our hearts with the love of heaven, to teach us what love really looks like, how to love one another. He is the father who came to make sons and daughters out of his enemies. It blows the mind. I think sometimes uh, this talking about an everlasting father who just loves and loves and loves, I think it just seems too good to be true, does it not? I have talked to many people and in in what prevents them from taking steps into believing the gospel is that it just seems too good to be true. Like it's like one of those late night QVC deals, right? Like this cannot be, it's too good to be true. And I was thinking this one, I might preach for a while today. Um, because I was looking at the end of John and he writes maybe the most beautiful things in all of scripture. He basically says, there's not enough words. Friends, there's not enough words. We, and here's the beauty of this. For those that are in him, we get forever to keep learning and learning and learning. My wife just told me a story yesterday about something in her, that I had never heard in her childhood. And I learned this new part of my wife and it was great and it was beautiful. But think how much more our everlasting father to spend eternity learning and knowing and serving and enjoying and laughing and eating and worshiping with the eternal father. We'll write all the books, friends. We'll sing all the songs and we'll just keep going and going and going because there's more and more and more. And today for 30 minutes, we get a snack. And that's good, isn't it? So we're going to be in Luke 1 today for our snack where we are going to look at this great prophecy uh, from this priest who was named Zechariah. And uh, you hear this story a lot at Christmas because it kind of leads up to the birth of Jesus. And um, Zechariah was married to um, not a young lady, but an older lady named Elizabeth. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, I felt kind of rude to call you that old. But um, I, they uh, had wanted to have children, uh, but she could not have kids. And they were now uh, very old, and he's just doing his priestly stuff. And then, then one day, uh, this angel named Gabriel comes to, to see him. And we got to be one thing clear. Our view of angels and the Bible's view of angels are very, very different. Every time you see an angel appear in the Bible, what's their first words? Fear not, because those things are scary. And so this, we, who not, this scary angel, let's call it that, Gabriel comes down and says, Zechariah, you are going, Elizabeth's going to have a son. And, and this son is going to be a great, great, great man of God. Actually, your son is going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. You know, the guy in Isaiah that he's talking about, he's going to be the forerunner for the king that is coming. Can you imagine hearing that news? But Zechariah, let's not judge him, reacts probably how we would. He says, wait, how can this happen? Elizabeth is, she can't have kids. Man, she's super old. <laughs> That's right what he said. And, uh, and at that moment, because of his lack of faith, he was made mute. 
And so during basically her entire pregnancy, Zachariah could not talk, which is either good or bad for their marriage, I'm not sure. But he could not talk for the, their entire time she was pregnant. And then finally, she gives birth to John. And eight days later, it's time to have him circumcised for his uh, official name. And there's this debate about what his name shall be because the angel told Elizabeth to name him John. And, you know, he can't talk right now. So it's all Elizabeth right now. It's like his name is John. Like, no, no, that's not a family name. And they finally go to him and he lets them know. He writes on a little tablet. He says, his name is John. Leave it alone. And at that moment, his mouth is opened. And as, as his mouth is open, imagine this. He's been mute. He kind of, what, 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 what did he learn over those months where he could not talk? He had been a priest for so many years and then had this special encounter with an angel of God. He was promised this great thing he had studied about. It was finally here, and yet he fell in his faith. And then finally, his son is born. This miracle happens. They name him John, and now he can finally talk. I imagine him looking at his son and then saying these words here in Luke 1, known as Zechariah's prophecy. Verse 67 says this. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So he has not talked for months, and then he's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like, let's, let's get to work, guys. In verse 68, he says, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Jesus is not born yet. He is prophesying what is to come. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. He's like, just like Isaiah said, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness, righteousness, in his presence all of our days. And then verse 76, he goes now to his son. And you, child, imagine his eyes turning to his son now, to John the Baptist saying this. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion. Listen to this. The dawn from on high will visit us. That's some good news right there. To shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. What a picture of our King Jesus. So in light of this, we have one kind of point today. And we're going to walk through this. The everlasting Father is patient it's powerful and it's present. The everlasting Father, as we see in this text today and all throughout Scripture, He is patient, He is powerful, and He is present. So we see how He's patient here. The name everlasting, this idea of Him being eternal, speaks to the patience of Jesus. He is above time, and he has waited for the right time to do this and to do this, and he is patient. Listen, an eternal king is a patient king. He's not rushed. He's, he's right on time. Look at verse 70. As Zechariah prophesizes this, he says, Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Remember, Isaiah was 700 years ago. Let's keep going. He says, salvation from enemies, from those who hate us. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, he now goes back thousands of years. Hear this, God is patient with his plan. He is patient with his plan. And if we're honest, sometimes his patience with his plans can frustrate us. 
You can imagine those 700 years from this great prophecy from Isaiah as they waited for this king, as suffering happened. They're like, God, where are you? But he is patient with his plans. Mark 1.15 says this phrase that before Jesus starts his ministry, he says, the time is fulfilled, which speaks to this fulfillment now of the Old Testament prophecies. Like, this is the time. Guys, it's happening now. You've heard about this. He's here. It's happening. But Paul says it like this in Galatians 4. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. That literally means at the perfect time, he sent Jesus. At the perfect time, he sent Jesus. Literally, if you study history, it was the perfect moment in history. At that time, there were finally roads created by the Romans. There were not wars happening all over the world because the Romans were in control. There was one common language spoken. There was Greek. He came at the perfect time for the good news to spread to all people. But here's the issue. Many times we cannot see the plan. Almost every time we cannot see the plan. We're stuck in the waiting. But hear this. He's not just patient with his plan. He is patient with us, his people. Look at 72, verse 72. It says here, he has dealt mercifully with our ancestors. If you study the, the story of the Old Testament and of the, the Israelites, what you will see is rebellious people, rebellious people, rebellious people. But our everlasting Father is patient and He is merciful. His mercy kept happening. This is one of the hardest parts for us to even understand because we're finite and we are completely and utterly impatient, are we not? And we had finite and impatient fathers ourselves, so we can't comprehend just the, the huge patient heart of the Father. And I will tell you, the world is getting harsher and more and more impatient, is it not? Do not say the wrong phrase. Do not have the package be late. Do not take five minutes with my order. I do not want to wait. We are harsh. We are impatient people, and we project that on the Father. This is why it's so important for us to hear about the patience of the Father. Hear this. A patient God is a happy God. Many times, you know what I'm most probably angry, irritable is when I'm in a hurry. Can you relate to that? Our, our everlasting Father is never in the vicinity of hurry. It's, it's not even near. He is perfectly patient and content. And sometimes we meet those people. They're not Jesus. They're not God. But they're a really good shadow. Right? Normally they're older. They've lived some life. They don't rise and fall with the times or the news or this or that. And they're a picture, they're a shadow of the patient father. And you know what they are? They're happy. They're content. They're peaceful. They're generous. They're giving. But I think it's rooted in this contentness and this patience. And listen. There is darkness in the world. I am not. There are many, many nights and mornings that I am weeping for my circumstances, for people that I love. And I understand that. But I want his plan is patient. His timing is perfect. You know what we're really impatient with? With two things. We are impatient with our circumstances, and we are impatient with ourselves, are we not? Like, our, our, Lord, just please give me the money. Lord, please heal this thing. Lord, please fix this car. Lord, please kill my boss. Whatever it might be for you. It's whatever this thing is, you want the circumstance to change. But you know what I'm most impatient with? Is myself. 
Because you know what I do over and over? The stupid thing. I heard uh, John Piper once say that the only thing that makes him doubt God is the slowness of his spiritual growth. And that just resonated with me because many times my lack of progress, so to speak, is so frustrating with me. But hear this. The Father is not frustrated the way I am with myself. The Father is everlasting. The Father is patient. The Father is working. The Father is merciful. The Father is good. The Father's heart is bigger than you could ever imagine. He is on his throne. He's content. He is patient. He is smiling. He is good. He's in control. His plan, his timing is perfect. Breathe. He is the everlasting Father. But guess what? He's not just patient. He's also powerful. This is where I get excited right here. Because, you know, when the Avengers call for a superhero, it's not like some little guy. It's the Hulk, right? Or it's some guy in some suit that can kill everybody. Our Father, our everlasting Father is powerful. Think about this. An everlasting Father, a, a forever Father, has seen it all, has done it all, created it all. He has the ultimate old man strength, right? He can do whatever he wants. He, is, he has been, I can't, he's been forever. But look at verse 69, because there's this phrase here as Zachariah is saying this about this coming little baby that would have just helped them understand something. In verse, it says here, he has raised up this phrase, a horn of salvation for us. And this horn, it symbolized strength and power. As soon as they heard this, they knew, okay, this king who's coming is going to be full of strength and full of power. See, it's this time of year, it's, it's baby Jesus time, right? And that's right and appropriate. But hear this, he was an everlasting, eternal king that's existed forever. He's the Alpha, the Omega. Listen, he was, he is patient. It's true. But he's also powerful. He is mighty. Luke shared this story about this friend coming to the school of his bullied friend's son. It was this great picture of the mighty God being with us. If the mighty God is with us, whom shall we fear? If God is on our side, what can man do? Look at verse 74 at what this powerful God can do. And this is a prophecy of what's going to happen through Jesus. It says here, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, having been rescued, he rescues people from the hands of the enemy from the attacks of this world, from the plans of the accuser. He is powerful enough to do that. Hear this, friends. Rescuers are not small. They're not weak. They're not fearful. They're not just nice. Rescuers come and save. I think sometimes it's hard for us to understand, and especially in this world, we lose sight of the power and the might of King Jesus. Let's go back to Revelation 1 and that scripture that Luke read. This is a great picture of King Jesus. So this is the Apostle John giving this vision about Jesus himself. And it says, when I saw him, this is Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. He's a powerful father. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. Hear this, only a powerful father can make us feel safe, friends. Listen, if, I was, if, if there was Mike Tyson in his prime coming to my house to beat up my kids, I could tell them fear not, but guess what? They should still be afraid because he will beat me up. He will. But listen, when the enemy comes on us and our father says fear not, guess what? We can fear not because he is bigger than any enemy that's out there, friends. Fear not. He says, I'm the first and the last. He's saying, I have seen it all. And the living one. He says, I died. See, only a powerful father who rescues will die for us. 
Think about that Friday and that Saturday. The enemy's laughing. The disciples are doubting. And our Father is resting, knowing what's coming. And it gets right here, and we just read this and just start hooting and hollering. It's okay to do that, guys. And it says, and behold, I am alive forevermore. The stuff you're walking through is terrible, I'm sure. It's hard. It's not forevermore. The powerful father is. And listen to this, friends. He has the keys of death and Hades. We can fear not, friends. Our father is unbelievably powerful he's so powerful we can't comprehend he's the first the last he's seen it all he actually died and he rose again and he's holding the keys say like now what he is the king who reigns forevermore. how wonderful is he he's infinitely patient when he could and should just wipe us out he is the king who died for us and we forget him. Sometimes we rebel. Sometimes we actively defame the name of God with our words and our actions. We forget what he's done. And he could in an instant just say, be gone and would be right to do so. But he's infinitely patient. But it's his patience and his power that we can look at life differently. Listen, there's financial strain. Money is really, really tight. I get that. But hear this. He is the king forever. He owns it all. He owns it all. And he says this. He says, look at those birds in the air. They are not worried for a thing, just flying around eating, because I'll take care of them. How much more will the everlasting father take care of his kids? How much more? Listen, there are, there's health things. There is mental health. There is the tentacles of addiction that have some in this room, that have many of our loved ones. But hear this. He is the forever father that is bigger and mightier and longer and better than all the enemies of this world, than the addictions, than the health stuff, the mental health stuff. He's bigger than it all, friends. He holds the keys to death. He is the healer. The, the, the fallenness of this world that affects all of us, the, the attacks of the enemy, the sin that resides in all, it's very, very real. I think sometimes we try to like hyper-spiritualize, oh, no, 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 no. No, it's very, very real, but it's also very, very small in light of him. And that's where the key is, is don't deny it, but also put it in the right perspective, right? He is Jason versus Mike Tyson, correct? Put in the right perspective. He is the mighty king. But hear this. This is, this is why there's not enough words, friends. He, his patience, not a harsh father, patient and merciful, Right? Not an imperfect father that can't do some things. He's the powerful father that can do whatever he wants to do. And, and we could end there, and that'd be the greatest news in the history of the world. But here's what's crazy. It gets better. Now, I'm the QVC guy, right? Said, oh, there's more, right? <laughs> Hear this. Because our king, he's not just aloof. Like, he's not just like, okay, I did it. I'm going to sit here, and y'all just figure it out. Our king is present. Look at verse 78. I'm dancing. Because of our God's merciful compassion. See, if you want to know why Jesus came down, there it is right there. I want you to hear this. Uh, many times we think because we messed up and we sin that we have to run away from God. The opposite is true. When, when humanity sins, God runs at us. Because it's out of his merciful compassion because we can't figure it out, right? But he's not frustrated. He's not frustrated. He's patient. He comes after us. Because of his merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. To shine on those who live in darkness. And the shadow of death. He gets so close. He comes so near. He puts on the flesh so he can guide our feet. 
You ever help your kids walk for the first time? You hold their hand, you cheer for them, you're patient, you're, you're not, you are so close in case they fall, right? He is literally guiding the feet of his children, friends, because our king is present. He is not aloof. He is not absent. He's not too busy. He is right there pursuing his kids. Now, go back to Isaiah 9 real quick. It'll be on the screen, I think. Isaiah 9, as I studied this, I found this, I was just so excited. Verse 2 says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in a land of darkness. See, 700 years apart, the same patient God empowering Isaiah and Zechariah with the same message. This right here, the dawn from on high will come visit us in darkness. The same good news, 700 years apart. He's a patient God, and his plan is always perfect. And this light that came would not just be an event, would not just be a new law, would not just be a new miracle. It would be a person and the person of Jesus Christ. That's the miracle of this season. It's a, a manual. It's God with us, which if we look at the story of Scripture, the story of Scripture is God with us. God, out of his love, creates us. What do we do? We run away. No, 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 no. Shame, 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 shame. No, no, no. With you. He comes. He comes. He pursues. It's the never-ending, never-giving-up, always-perfect, always-patient love of the Father the greatest story the world has ever seen all of our stories all of our movies are just shadows of that greatest story is all they are the light is a person the person is jesus he created me and you to be with him it's because of his compassion because of his love he visits i love that word visits here because it it, it tells what it is his bodily presence was there for 33 years. In the light of eternity, that's really a short visit, is it not? But the Alpha, the Omega is always here. And through his spirit, he now resides in us. God's presence sometimes is the hardest thing for us to grasp. And, and back to the, our earthly fathers for a minute, even us ourselves. Because even good fathers are not always present, are they not? They have work, they go out of town, at home they're doing this and they're busy. So even unintentionally it can feel like we lose our father's love or our father's affection or our father's attention. Even how I discipline my kids sometimes where they mess up and, and I say, okay, go to your room. And I think about that, what I'm kind of teaching them is this right here is that when they mess up, go away from me to go and hide and that can sometimes inherently teach them that that our love lessens when they mess up and so the idea of the presence of god is many times hard to grasp but hear this the presence of god is the ball game if we as a people learn to live and walk and enjoy the presence of god we will literally change the world and i, I know this because two thousand years ago a, a group of people probably not not much bigger than this or smaller than this they understood the presence of god and they changed the world through the power of god but hear this king jesus is the everlasting father and i love this here an everlasting father has love and delighted in you forever so Thousands of years before you existed, the Father loved you. Thousands of years after you leave this earth, the Father will love you. We cannot grasp that. He is an everlasting Father. Spurgeon says it this way, There is no unfathering Christ, and there is no unchilding us. He... We just cannot grasp that. The everlasting Father is patient 
powerful, and present. And he's pursuing you, even in this moment. It's Christmas time, Merry Christmas, we're doing all the things, but the Father has us here in this moment. And remember, his plan is patient and perfect, is it not? And we're hearing the, the greatest news in the history of the world from a very imperfect communicator. But guess what? The Father is pursuing you. And here is the question. What are you going to do? It's a question. What are we going to do in light of that? In light of this everlasting Father, what do we do? I, I want to encourage three things today. And, and they're really from Luke from la last week, but they apply really all the time. And it's this right here. First, bring our troubles to God. If he's an everlasting father, if he's the guy who's seen it all, done it all, who's also patient, also can fix it, and is also right there, well, I don't know what else to tell you. Bring it to him. So, so you have questions about him, right? God, why this happened? Bring it to him. You have this sick person, bring it to him. You, you have this fear, bring it to him. You have this sin, bring it to him. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. Second, and this is really, as Luke was telling me this week, this is the pattern of all the Psalms, almost in a sense, where the psalmist comes and says, God, where are you? They're going to kill me. God, where are you? I need your help. Where are you, God? They bring his request to God. And then second, the psalmist does this. He remembers what God has done. Oh, that's right. I've been here before. Where that paycheck came late and that bill came due. I'm overdrawn on the account. And I got to buy presents for my kids, right? It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And I'll tell you this. This is just all for free. Sometimes... God wants you to go to him through other people, right? Because God wants to use those people to actually bless you and help you. But I think too many times we're just too stinking proud, are we not? If you have a need, ask for help. The Magnificat, Mary's great song. The theme of that song is that God blesses the lowly. God blesses the lowly. And the people of God, there shouldn't be needs, friends. Because if there's a need, there's someone here to meet that need. Whatever it might be, if it's financial, if it's spiritual, if it's emotional, relational, what is the need? Bring it to God and bring it to God through other people. We have a prayer team in the back. That line should be so long, friends, because we're lowly, needly, needy people, are we not? Are you perfect? Am I perfect? If you are, please just be quiet because I am not. But most of us here, we have all kind of things. And it doesn't get better hiding it. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. He's an everlasting father. And hear this, the everlasting father adopted us, each other, to be an everlasting family. We're stuck with each other, for better or for worse. And so in the everlasting family, guess what? There's also everlasting provision. So let it flow. When we have that prayer time, we should go pray. Ask God. Write it on your card. Sorry. Bring your troubles to God. Second, remember all that God has done. And three, do what God asks you to do. Uh-oh. And, and that might, what I mean there is to trust God. But if I'm honest, we think trust God is to believe something. When to trust God really means to do something. Trusting God through obedience is putting all your chips in the center of the table. I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, and they're doing pretty good right now. I've gotten phone calls, oh, your Cowboys look good. I'm like, well, we'll see you in January, right? Because I do not trust them. I have no faith in them at all. I might love them. I do not trust them. And I think many of us, we come here and we sing songs because God is so good. How could you not love hearing and singing about that God? But that moment of trust through obedience comes and we step this way. And the problem with that is not because God needs your stuff or because God wants to make your life harder or worse. No, it's this. Hear this. Please hear this. Trusting through obedience takes us from the lesser life to the abundant life. 
because you begin to operate and to live in a different kingdom, in a different realm, in a different way that we just don't experience because our hands are closed tight, our hearts are shut off, and we just want to do the bare minimum. God's not going to make you better. He came to make you new, right? So just do what he asks. If he says, go adopt a kid, go adopt a kid. If he says, go and say hi to your neighbor, go say hi to your neighbor. If he says, do this, do this. He says, jump, ask how high? Because he's the everlasting father. He's seen it all. He's patient. He's powerful. He's present. What are we going to do? All right, here's how we're going to end. Today, we're not doing communion. And so instead, um, as I pray, I would love with all my heart if you, we're trying to give you two minutes to to sit in the presence of God and be with him. Share your concerns. Remember what he's done. And do what he says. And if you would just let us know on your car what God is doing in your life. If you want to maybe pray with somebody in the back, here's the time. There's no shopping right now. There's no work parties right now. Now's a, a moment for us to really do work with God. Let me pray for us. Let's talk to God. Dear Heavenly Father, you are infinitely good and patient with us. You have a power that um, we can't fully understand or comprehend. And I just thank you for your presence. I thank you for your friendship. I thank you for your, for your father-like heart. So, Father, will you speak to us today? As we have set our mind on things above, on the beautiful truth of the everlasting Father, would you not let us just have a nice moment? But would you have us have an encounter with you that leads to true heart-filled obedience. Move in our hearts. We love you. We ask for all this in your name. Amen. Take a moment at your, at your chair. Be with God.